It's good to be back here. I, I know many of you guys' faces, and uh, it's good to be here. It's a bittersweet day. Not only is it a, a, a day that we reflect and we think about what our God has done for us, uh, but also uh, for me, uh, you know, being here is special because I have my four daughters here with me today, and it may be the last time that we're, at least for some time, that we're all together for Easter because I got two going to college next year. Uh, so it's just, it's really cool to be at EHC uh, today, and I just thank God for that. Um, you know, um, I, I, I'm going to be reading a verse today. We're going to be reading from John 20, starting at verse 11. So if you have your Bibles today, uh, we're going to turn to John 20, starting at uh, verse 11. All right, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. John 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They had taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus appears to his disciples. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed and they, uh, when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus then appears to Thomas, verse 24, saying, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put 
putting into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Well, thank you again for being here and being a part of today's very special service. Let me mention a couple things real quickly, if you don't mind. Did anybody notice anything at all different about the foyer and the lobby? Just a small little change in the decor. Anybody notice that? Isn't that awesome? What did you just say? A selfie wall. That's right. Because I was feeling like just left out. I was like, you know, I need a better place to do a selfie for myself. Like that's what I, I literally want you to go and take a selfie with that picture or that, that background. And I'm, that's exactly what I wanted you to think that it was. I ain't gonna lie. And I was just gonna mention, great time to get family pictures. And Peter, man, I feel you. Like I literally had that conversation with my daughters one time on, on a vacation. It's like, we're never gonna be together again. And uh, you know, it's not so bad. Uh, anyway. Does this make it up to Oklahoma where I got kids? Some of you empty nesters are like, amen. <laughs> no, seriously, wonderful girls. And thank you so much, um, Isis, there you are. Great job. So good to have you back. And isn't it great? Great job, worship team. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate that. Wonderful job. What an awesome opportunity to come in and worship. And you guys always do a great job of leading us, and we appreciate that. Um, Eric asked me to just make sure and mention not only the selfie wall, that can also be a family pick wall. Uh, but what I'm going to do here in a minute, like when I sign you guys out and dismiss you guys and all that stuff, I'm going to sprint for that wall. And I want to be there where you guys are taking pictures so I can see some of y'all. Because some of y'all I haven't seen in a little while had this little thing called COVID. I don't know if you heard of it or not. But yeah, some of us haven't seen one another in a while. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, definitely good with hugging, but I will also keep my distance. If you give me this, like Shelly always does, that's fine. I can, I can play that way if I need to, right? So um, don't forget, we've got a moon bounce right out here for the kids. And right about maybe five, 10 minutes after we dismiss and go, uh, we're going to have you guys go on out there with your kids and definitely make sure and take pictures. It's going to be a ton of fun. We've got like six or 700 eggs. So whatever you do, don't leave me here in this place with that much candy. Amen. So get out there, let your kids have a great time, let them enjoy it. And uh, hopefully prayerfully, this will be a blessed day and from top to bottom, start to finish, lights notwithstanding. Uh, do want to mention one more time just before I get into the message series and uh, kind of bring our message series to a close. Again, if you do not, if you've not been here more than once before, if you're here for the first or second time, please make sure and hit me up. I'd love to uh, send you a Starbucks gift card via your cell phone and my cell phone. So we'd love to have that connection if we can. All right, very quickly. I have finished up today. Today is going to be the last day, and officially it's a little kind of standalone and a little different, but if you've been here, if you've been following online various things, 
you know that we've been teaching in a series called Empty. Empty places, empty things. You saw the intro video. Uh, Empty things, empty places, empty people. And we've been talking about how uh, empty our lives can be and how that emptiness and that void really points us exactly where we need to be, and that is towards the Lord. And I knew that today I'd be finishing up and that empty and the ultimate empty is the empty tomb that we're talking about today. And what exactly does the empty tomb mean for you and for me? And I want to talk a little bit about that. And you heard Peter reading that scripture and you can kind of keep your you know, notes open. You can keep your Bibles open there and we'll follow along. We'll refer back to that in just a moment. The letter was dated February 6th, 1974, and it was addressed to the U.S. government. It had pretty basic words. It said just simply this, I'm sending $10 for blankets that I stole while I was serving in World War II. My mind could not rest, and it included the money. Now, this is from a book called Six Hours, One Sunday by Max Lucado. And uh, here's a picture of the, the audio version, but this book has been around for literally decades. I went back and read this classic book just to kind of get a sense of it. But there was also a postscript to this letter, and it just simply said, I want to be ready to meet God. He says in this book, this letter, but he also goes a little further. In 1811, there was a fund that was begun, and they label it the Conscience Fund. And yes, I looked on the IRS.gov, not because it's tax day tomorrow. You have been warned, right? Tax day tomorrow, but check this out. There is literally a conscious fund, and this is, this is the Pardon me. It says, this is the account to be credited when remittances, in other words, payments, are received from taxpayers to ease their conscience. Usually a note is attached indicating it is for the conscience fund. Can you believe this is a real thing? It's crazy, right? Some of you are like, nobody getting my money. (laughs) Here's what I know. There is over $3.5 million that has been deposited in the Conscience Fund. The biggest year was 1950 when they received $350,000, and it averages $45,000 per year. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it amazing what we as individuals and people will do to clear our conscience? To get back that thing that we can't get back? to change things around, and to be ready to meet God. Basically, what I want to share with you today is the idea that the empty tomb and the empty cross are the things that enable us and prepare us to meet God. It is not writing a check and sending it into the IRS and putting it in some conscience fund. It is instead taking rest and knowing that God's work has already been done. And there is a man who once described it in this way. He said, there are a lot of people that describe being right with God as D-O, what you do. You do this, you do this, you do that, you do this. He said, but instead, when Jesus came, he clearly said, it's not spelled D-O, it's spelled D-O-N-E. Everything that you need to stand right before God has already been done. He finished the work 
The empty cross and the empty grave says everything that God needs to say on the subject of the sinfulness of man. So for you and for me, we just simply need to accept and embrace what God has already done for us and not try to do the things that we ought to do constantly in order to earn God's favor. And so today, as we talk a little bit about this, I want to make sure that you and I are on the same page, knowing what God has done, and in in order to kind of understand that and then embrace it and make it our own. So very quickly, let's talk a little bit about this. Max Lucado identifies three things, and you can probably totally identify. He says, there are three burdens that are too big for any back. There are three burdens that are too heavy for any biceps. Three burdens that no man can carry alone. He calls these the three F's on the report card of humanity. He says, there's futility, there's failure, and there's finality. And so I want to talk about those things and how God has come to alleviate all those things. Now, here's what I would tell you. If you've ever felt that futility... If you've ever felt the sting of failure, and if you've ever feared the finality of death, I'm here to tell you that Easter speaks over all of that stuff and answers every piece and part of it. That's why the empty of the empty tomb is so incredibly important. We'll talk through that in the next few minutes, and uh, hopefully it will become more and more clear to you. But if you have ever said... These kinds of phrases, you probably understand exactly what I mean when I say we all have an empty spot within our hearts and within our souls. If you've ever said to yourself, if I could ever just own this thing or these things, if I could ever have this kind of person in my life, then I'd be happy. If I could ever just fix this particular situation, everything would be fine. Or if I could ever just achieve this level of success, notoriety, money, etc., etc. If you've ever said that to yourself, probably not out loud, but maybe in your heart of hearts you know these things sound like stuff you have said to yourself. I'm here to tell you those things They don't bring happiness, they simply bring emptiness. And not the kind that helps you, but the kind that pulls you down, the kind that hinders you and hurts you. And so it is so vital that we say, instead of those things that are causing that feeling of emptiness being something that pushes us in the wrong direction, we need to say, this is a sign that I am made for more than this. That God has created me for himself. And you even saw this from St. Augustine, this quote that says, You have made our hearts restless until they find their rest in you. And the only place to find that peace that we are all seeking, the only place to find purpose that we are all looking for in our lives is at Jesus' feet and nowhere else. Can I get an amen? All right, so as we keep moving here, we see here, and by the way, if you're here for the first time, I ask that question a lot. I just need words of affirmation, so help me out, okay? Okay, so here we go. This gets, go to this next slide, and here we see something, and we see this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, not the one that we read. He appeared to a number of different people, but in this particular one, we see that he appeared to some people in Luke chapter 24, what is called on the road to Emmaus. It's a town outside of Jerusalem. And so what was going on is, is that these men were going in a direction and as they traveled, they were joined by a traveler that they didn't recognize. 
The Bible tells us that the eyes of these people were kind of held so that they couldn't really fully understand or see clearly who it was that was walking alongside of them. But this was actually the post-resurrection Jesus that's walking along. And here in verse 30 through 32, it says, when he was at the table with them, he, that capital H there reminds you that it's Jesus, he took bread He gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. Now you can almost hear the echoes of feeding of the 5,000. You can almost hear the echoes of him doing the very same thing as he shares the Passover meal with his disciples. He takes bread, gives thanks, begins to break it and give it to those who are his followers, right? And so as you see this, their eyes are open and they recognized him and then he is taken and he has disappeared from their sight. And then they turn and they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he walked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In other words, there was something different when Jesus was present. Whenever Jesus was with us and in our lives, it's just a different thing altogether. And we can sense it. We can feel it. Did you feel it? I felt it. And so we go back and forth and we see that Jesus is the one who brings life to the empty things that we've been trying to pile up enough of to keep us from feeling that hole that is within us. And so we got to be very careful that we don't try the more strategy. And I've shared this with a lot of people, and maybe you've heard it. If you have, just bear with me. But the problem for most of us as human beings is we don't think different, we think more. We don't think different, we think more. In other words, we think to ourselves, you know what? If I had more money, then I would be happy. It's not that we don't need to have money. Let's be very clear, money does Coming pretty handy around here if you got a bill or two to pay. But whenever you make that your God and make that your aim, you think, if I just had a little more, then I would be happy. And then somebody like me comes along and says, well, hit the pause button. Have you got more than you ever had before? And most of the time, the answer is. And I ask that other, you know, kind of annoying question, well, are you happier? And most of the time is no, (laughs) to be honest. Most of the time, the answer is no. I know some of the best memories that I have, and I'm not going to talk about me and Shelly when we first got started, but let's say this. We were both 19, and neither one of us had a career, but we had a whole lot of love. That's all, right? It was going to get us through. Thank God it did. I mean, it's good, right? Shelly's over there. Yep. But you gave me nothing else. That's right, babe. But but lots of love. Lots of love. And, and, you know, it's funny because I look back on some of those days and some of those days were the happiest and now I have more than I ever thought that I would ever have in my life. And I'm still not happy at times. And I think, well, what I need is, well, if I just had more. When somebody needs to pump the brakes and hit me in the chest and say, no, 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 you don't need more, you need different. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not more that brings you happiness, it's different. It's making sure that the priorities are right. And so as we look here, we say, well, if I had more time, no, no, no. You probably have a little bit more freedom than you've ever had, but you've filled it with other things. And these things that happen to us and happen around us and kind of almost live our lives for us, all of this stuff, it's a poke in the chest and saying, you don't need more, you need different. And so for us, This is what Jesus came to give us. There's plenty of all that junk out there. 
But there's only one Jesus. And he alone is the one who differently touches us and makes our hearts burn within us in a different kind of way. And I'm here to tell you, I, I, I want to kind of testify to you here today that I've done a lot of other things that I thought would bring me happiness, joy, peace, all that stuff, bring me purpose. All of those things that I tried did not satisfy. At first, they were fun and kind of cool and what a novelty this is, but then eventually it became something that clearly I didn't need more of it. I just needed something different. You see what I'm saying? And so we see here Jesus giving us something different whenever he comes to Easter. Now, real quickly, there's a couple of things that I want you to learn. Let's go to this next slide, and you can make sure that you learn at least one thing here today. Um, Let's go to our next slide, our something to learn slide. Uh, There it is. The details surrounding the resurrection of Christ clearly show us that no story chosen by mankind. It's not a story chosen by mankind. It has at least seven things in it. This chapter alone that we read would have never been chosen or would have been changed by human beings, if at all possible. I'm just going to go through a couple of these real quickly, and I'm also going to kind of pull out a few things about it that I think you will identify with it. So let's go very quickly. Let's go to our next slide. And we see here seven things to change. First of all, Jesus, in his first person that he appeared to, he appeared to a woman. Now, I want to just say something, ladies. I'm your friend. Y'all be nice, okay, ladies. I'm telling you what was, not what should have been. But back in those days, a woman's testimony was not given equal weight to that of a man. Now, y'all can just say we had it backwards. Can I get an amen from the ladies in the house? I knew it. All right. See, we're still friends. This is good. So, yes, it was upside down. They weren't on level footing. And in that ancient world, if you wanted to prove that Jesus was alive, the one thing you would not do is you would not choose somebody who was a woman to be the first person that he appears to. Not my decision, not my choice, just telling you what was. And I'm here to tell you for sure, definitely not that woman. Mary Magdalene, if you've been watching The Chosen, you know that Mary Magdalene is the very first person that is kind of approached in that series. And by the way, I can't recommend it highly enough. The Chosen is an awesome, awesome thing. You can go back and watch it and you can do it all kinds of free ways and there's good ways to get to it. Um, Not doing that now, hopefully. But yes, not that woman. That woman had a past That woman was never looked at as a person who was right or righteous. She was never in the in crowd. She definitely wasn't because of her sex and her gender, but then she was even further somebody who was seen as immoral. And why in the world would Jesus choose, if he was making up a story, to say, the first person I appeared to was Mary Magdalene. Everybody would be like, who? What? Can you throw somebody in there like, like royalty or, or some scholar or some Pharisee or something like that? Mm-mm. That's never been the way that Jesus and God himself works. He uses the things that are foolish in man's eyes to confound the wise, as the Bible says. He uses those things which are not to call into those things that he wants to be. And so this is God doing God. This is God doing it his way, not the way that we as mankind would write it out. You know, just like he chose to be born in a manger instead of a palace, 
Just like he chose to be born of a virgin instead of this great and marvelous birth and on and on and on down the line. He chose the shepherd David and pulled him out of the back pasture so that he would be the best king that Israel had ever had. You see, God uses people that are not qualified and he makes them qualified because of his goodness his grace and his strength, not because of anything that they bring to the table. And I don't know about you, but I personally am really glad for that. Amen? I mean, I'm telling you, I'm glad for God's grace. Let's go on here very quickly, and let me just share with you, he would have chosen something more inspiring than he was mistaken for the gardener. Did y'all hear that part? <laughs> Did y'all hear that part? Now, if I'm writing the story, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to write it and be like, and there was thunder. And like, you know, that guy that's got the big, deep voice, you know, with the, you've never seen anything like Jesus coming out of, you know, that kind of, Wah. that's what I want it to be. That's not who it was. That's not what it was. This woman thought he was the gardener. This is again, God doing what God does. How he speaks to us, not in these huge thunderstorms. But in the still small voice that he reached Elijah with. You guys remember that story? He wasn't in the storm. He wasn't in the fire. But he was there in a still small voice that broke Elijah down. Just the still small voice of saying, I'm here. And what are you doing here, Elijah? Have you ever had that happen to you? Where somewhere in your heart... A question that you don't even want to ask yourself pops into your mind and you go, that's not for me, that's from the Lord. And it's nothing huge, but it resonates so powerfully that you cannot deny that God is reaching to you and that he's speaking to you. Y'all know what I'm saying? And if you've ever had that, you know what that still small voice is. And here, Jesus is standing there, Mary probably crying and weeping, not blown away by the pyrotechnics, right? But she turns and she says, if you've taken him to another place, please just let me know where he is so I can go and take care of his body. And he says one word. He says to her, Mary, he calls her by name. And in the process of doing that, everything just ceases and stops and she turns and realizes that her Lord and Savior who changed the pattern and the course of her life is right there and he is not dead, he is risen and it blows her away and it's not because of all the the incredible things. It's all in the quiet and the still. And God being God, who doesn't need that stuff that we need, he just speaks and it resonates. This is what I would have done. God had a different plan, all right? The fear of the Jews was why they were hiding. Did you hear that part when Peter read it in just a moment ago when he says, and the, the disciples were in a room, they were locked up in a room. And the reason they were locked up in a room is because they were hiding because they did not want to be found. Their master had been killed. They could be next. They were hiding in an upper room because they were scared to death. I don't know. If I'm rewriting the story, I'd probably just leave that part out. Can I get an amen? Any of y'all? Like, that's, that's the part where we don't talk about, right? It's like, well, maybe. <laughs> okay, let's just keep moving, right? Yeah, they were hiding because they were scared to death. But they put that part in. 
Interesting. Seven, other, seven things to change. We're at number four. Let's go to our next slide here. And John says, we, or I, he's talking about himself. He's the writer of the, the verses. He says, we still didn't understand it all, even after three years of teaching, et cetera, et cetera. And these are the men who are about to go out and say, yeah, we're God's representatives. He chose us 12. And we're not exactly the brightest light in the harbor, not exactly the sharpest tools in the shed, right? If you can change that, you change that. But they didn't. They just stayed with what it was. It just was, and they stayed there. And then Thomas, who is later martyred in modern-day India, is made to look faithless. His 11 brethren say, we've seen the Lord. This is awesome. And Thomas goes, man, I'm not going to believe that until I see it with my own eyes. As a matter of fact, I won't even believe it then. I'm only going to believe it when I, do you remember, take my finger and I stick it into his nail-pierced hands And then I stick my hand into his side and I feel it for myself. Then I will, what? Believe. Hmm. I would have, if if I'm with, if I'm Thomas, I tell John, just leave that part out too, right? All this other stuff, you can leave that out and leave my part out too. And also number seven, they would choose a resurrected spirit, not a resurrected body that still bears scars from his death, something never seen before. And by the way, a spirit a lot of people believe in that. Even in the Old Testament and the Jewish, they, they believe in spirits, but they did not believe that a resurrected body could ever come back to life. This is the difference between what Christianity is doing. But they weren't making it up as they went. They just simply said, this is what we saw. This is what we experienced. This is why we were doing what we were doing, and this is where, why we were where we were. And all of that stuff just went with it down the line. Let's go to our next slide here very quickly. And here's what I would say as you go on. This passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us, what's that line right there? The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are what healed peace and healing is found as he's there on the cross as he's marked up in his body that even to this very day if you were to meet Jesus today you would still see him with holes in his hands and in his feet and a hole in his side from where he took the punishment for you but it is the punishment that he took that brings us peace and by his wounds we experience healing let's go to our next slide and this is so important this isn't just somebody this is Jesus of Nazareth who fulfilled in this man, uh, in this person, and this group's uh, estimation. You can see it, and maybe you can read it. I don't know. But I'm going to get real close because my eyes are getting bad. Um, but yes, how many prophecies did Jesus fulfill? It says one scholar named J. Barton Payne has found as many as 575 ver- 574 verses in the Old Testament that somehow point to or describe or reference the coming Messiah. 
Alfred Edersheim found 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah or his times. Conservatively, Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. You start putting the statistics to that being somebody other than Jesus, and I'm here to tell you it does not, it will blow your mind. It does not compute because it's just unheard of. He is the Messiah. He is the one who died for our sins. And then, instead of staying dead, instead of coming back as a spirit or a ghost, he came back in bodily form. And he says to Thomas in one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Thomas, come over here. I want you to take your hand and I want you to put it right here where the nails were. And then I want you to take your hand and I want you to place it in my side. And then he says to him, stop doubting and believe. And what does Thomas say? With all of the evidence that he cannot deny, he falls to his knees in my mind. And he says, you're my Lord and you my God. Everything changes for Thomas, just like it changed for all of us. And this is so important and so vital that we grasp that the empty that we have that's compelling us towards something is actually the very thing that's compelling us towards Christ. Man, don't miss it and don't miss the opportunity to say, it ain't about more, it's about different. I need Christ to change me. Not just in how much I have, but in the thing that I have made the most important. Let's go to our next slide very quickly. If Easter is a myth, here's what I got to say. I'm not going to take too long. I'm not here to debate and go back and forth. I'm not necessarily an apologist, but here's what I would say. I don't want to run through these very quickly. I know that some of you are here because you're here to celebrate with family. I know that some of you love Easter and it's very awesome, you enjoy it and all that stuff, but Easter and the resurrection is not exactly something that you're on firm footing with. Okay, fine. I'm good with that. I appreciate you being here. We're not enemies. I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk to you about this, but here's what I would say. This is not a thing where I stand up here and tell you about this And then you just simply say, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That sounds like nothing I've ever heard before. That's kind of the point, right? I mean, the point is, is that it's different than anything else. Have I used the word different already a few times, right? It's different because we needed something different. But if you don't believe that Jesus came back and conquered the grave, I got to tell you what I believe. I believe your view of why you would even live a godly life, I don't even know why that would matter. Now, I'm not alone in that. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, hey, if, if um, there is no such thing as a resurrection, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We should get every bit of joy that we can out of this life because we got nothing else to look forward to. But why is it that there's something inside of us that rails against the idea of everybody just being out for themselves? I mean, if it's nothing else waiting for us on the other side of that grave, why is it that I don't even have to tell you that you feel that way? Because you already know it. You see what I'm saying? And then I ask, what is your view of justice in the universe? Now, how many of you guys know bad people that have good things happen to them? Can I see your hands? How many of you know good people that have bad things happen to them? 
How many of you are the good people that had something bad happen? All right. You see what I'm saying? Where is justice? And if it isn't here, is it going to be there? Because if it's not in this world to be found, maybe it's because there's another waiting where all things will be set right. I don't know about you, but man, I want that. I want for some of these people that have been so horrible to other people in our world, I want them to stand before God and give an account for their actions. If not, they're doing it right and we're doing it wrong. If there is no resurrection, they're doing it right and we're doing it wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you don't believe in the resurrection, where is the sense of justice? God says, you will stand before me because there is something on the other side that we haven't seen yet, but it is just as real. It's important. And maybe you say, okay, well, what about this? What about what happens after our physical death? Can I just tell you, if you do not believe in the resurrection, what about those people that you have lost? Where are they? I don't know about you, but I want to see those people again. And I want to believe that there is something waiting. And the one who has claimed to be able to bring it about has lived on that side of eternity, according to the Bible, and come back to tell us that there is something waiting for us. And if you have no hope in Easter, and it's just a myth, I'm telling you, this takes you down a spiral that is a scary place to be. You keep going. How in the world do you find hope if there is no Easter? How in the world do you find forgiveness from sin if Jesus just simply went through this horrible death and then he was not raised again? This is the cornerstone of our faith. It's so important and so vital. We must believe in his resurrection because if we do, it changes everything. If you don't believe it, you can't find purpose and you can't find meaning. You just simply exist until you don't exist. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to exist in a world where that's the full sum of existence. Can I get an amen on that? Right? I don't want to live in a world. And I've seen glimpses of that world, and it is not a place that makes me a better person, a better father, any of these things. And so everything that I base my life upon is changed by the resurrection. And I'm just gonna say, if you're a person who's struggling with that, man, think about this. Think about this, because if none of these things are true, I have one question. What's left? What's left? But can I tell you one other thing? If the resurrection is true, living a good life does matter. There will be justice in our universe. My view of what happens after physical death can actually be a positive thing instead of only sadness and, and despair. I can actually find hope. I can find forgiveness for the things that I've done. I don't have to write to the conscience fund and put money in for something that I did back in World War II, for goodness sakes, right? I mean, these are the things that Jesus provides when he came out of that tomb, and I find purpose, and I find meaning, and all of these things hinge on one event in history, and that is Jesus's resurrection. And I'm here to tell you, if it's true, everything changes. Amen? Everything changes. 
And I want that to be true. The Bible tells us that it is true. And men who saw the resurrected Christ died instead of turning their back on his name, they would not say, I didn't see him. They said, no, you can kill me, but I will not lie and say, I did not see him because I did. And he is alive. Like I said, there's so much to say, but I want to encourage you and challenge you. If you're not there, if you're not in that place, just know this is so important and so vital. Let's go to our next slide. And I believe this is from 1 Corinthians 15, that passage I mentioned, where the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written comes true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to hear that one more time. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we go on. And we go here to our next slide. And this is the big idea. The empty cross and the empty grave hold the answers to all of mankind's emptiness. The empty cross and the empty grave hold all of the answers to mankind's emptiness. Now, if you've been around here before, you know this is where I ask you to participate with me. I want you guys to say it along with me on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. The empty cross and the empty grave hold the answers to all mankind's emptiness. I'm going to move very quickly here, and we're going to move on. Okay, let's go to our next slide. Christ's Easter victory over death shows that Christ meets us where we are, no matter who we are. We've already talked about him pursuing Thomas. He didn't have to come back. He'd seen 11 or 10 out of the 11. You know, Judas was gone by this time. He'd seen the majority of them. He didn't have to come back, but he came back and met Judas on the doubting ground that he was on. Here's what I would say. If you're a person who doubts the Easter promise, the Easter victory, the truth of that, here is what I would say. I would encourage you to live as if it were true for six months and see if your life does not change dramatically and become that thing that you are hoping that it would be. Because the truth is, is that this thing can change your life, but you've got to have faith in that thing that is almost unbelievable. But he will meet you where you are. If you're a doubter like Thomas, feel free. If you're a person who's got a past like Mary Magdalene, no big deal. I'm here to tell you that he is the one who meets us where we are, no matter who we are. And that is good news. Amen? Okay, let's go to our next slide here. Don't forget it. Your shortcomings are God's showcase. Your mistakes redeemed display you as his masterpiece. So don't think that just because you've got a past means that you cannot have a future in God's house, in God's family, in God's sight. Your shortcomings are his showcase. His grace shines brightest in your darkness. So don't worry. Come to him. Let's go to our next slide. Christ's Easter victory over death shows that when Christ's example meets Holy Spirit-empowered living, your life can change. And as you look at this in John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, that Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And then at this point, Jesus, 
he, the Bible tells us in, in what Peter read just a little bit ago, he says he breathed upon them. And I can't fully know exactly what happened most of the time whenever Christian scholars talk about when did this Holy Spirit come? They talk about him coming at Pentecost. But in this moment, I will tell you that the Bible tells us that Jesus breathed on them and said these words, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you one other thing, that from this point forward, the disciples are no longer cowering in fear in an upper room. They are out there beginning to change the world. So I don't know the full theological ramifications of it all, but here's what I know, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, whenever you commit yourself and you begin to live according to the Spirit of God in your life, things begin to change for you, and the life that you have lived that you thought you could never see changed can change. The anger, the frustration, the hurt, the brokenness, all of these things can begin to be touched by God's hands if you will allow that to be true. And that is something that Easter enables and provides. It is so important. And there we see, and Jesus, we, we talked a little bit about this. And let's go to our next slide, if you don't mind. And you can see that there. Um, this is, again, he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. These are the verses that I've just referred to. Let's go to our next slide here. And we see, oh, this is, this is my time for commercial. Here's the commercial break. Next week, I'm preaching on Headspace Volume 2. Please come. Love to have you here. Here's what I mean. For most of us, we believe what I've been talking about. We believe that there is something different about Jesus. We believe that there has been a change in our world because he came. But we do not feed that part of our life. We do not feed that part of our personhood. And so because of that, it's always like a weak link in our life. We see people whose faith seems to sustain them in ways that we can't figure out because we know that we're a Christian because we believe, but it sure doesn't seem like we're living like they are, and not just the things that we do, but in the way that they feel like they're close to God, and the way that they see God's hands and stuff, and the way that God seems to move things for them. Why is that? Because you and I, we've kept God at arm's length. We see him a little bit. And then when we do see him work, we say, thanks, God. And we never think this is a call from him saying, come along, go deeper, grow more. And so I'm encouraging you, come next week. Make this something that is a part of your character. There is a, a way to develop constantly that spiritual side of your life. And yes, it is going to apply. I mean, everybody knows about how we're all in this weird headspace and COVID-19 and all the things that are going on. I'm telling you, it'll apply to your life, but it'll also feed your soul. It's always from the word of God. And it always brings you back to where Jesus is the one who is centered and focused in your life. So come next week. Or, or... If you don't want to come next week, well, you do want to come next week, but you can't wait until next week. How about I put it in that way? You can even go to this next slide, and you can be a part of the Zoom Bible study. Here it is. Yes, I told you it was time for commercial breaks. This is how you start feeding your spiritual side. This is how you start beginning to make these things matter in your life, instead of this being something that kind of matters but really doesn't change anything, because... Let's be honest. For some of us, 
We've just been here in this place in our lives and we've never gone past it. And every time we kind of hit this wall, we turn around and loop back and then we have the same treadmill over and over and over again. And it never really changes because we never actually commit ourselves to change. Let's go to our next slide very quickly. Two quotes that I want to share with you. To escape the error of salvation by works, we've fallen into the opposite error of salvation without obedience. Mm. For most of us as Christians, we're doing the very best we can to stay as far away as possible from Jesus and his example and his life. And we still want to be considered a Christian, but we're not going to live like a Christian. We're not going to act like a Christian. We're not going to pursue Christ and knowing him any better. And so it's not a surprise when it's not really making the impact that it should. And let me just say, Alan Redpath said, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacturing of a saint is the task of a lifetime. In other words, it's got to matter to you for it to matter and make a difference. All right, so let's go to our final slide here. His empty tomb cures our emptiness. And this is what the passage of Scripture said. He said, Simply that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And yes, sorry about the font, but yes, that's what it says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. His empty tomb cures your emptiness. This is what it's all about. Very quickly, I want to go back to two things that I've already shared with you. Max Lucado saying the three F's on the report card of the human existence. Futility, failure, and then finally, the finality of death. Do you see how the resurrection changes it all? My futility is no longer a part of my life because I know that I have purpose in the one who died for me. My failures don't matter because I've already been forgiven, not because I did enough, but because he spells relationship with God, D-O-N-E. It's already been done. And then that finality, we know that if he was the one who won over death, then we too can win over death. And that finality is no longer a thing that scares me to death, but it just simply means I move from this world into another where it only gets better. And so for me and you, these things can all be addressed through one act, and that was Jesus rising from the dead. Easter changes everything. It puts hope in every one of our hearts if we will accept it and believe. Very quickly, let's go to our next slide. We talked about how our hearts need to burn for something, and it only burns the, this one particular way. When it is about Jesus. Our big question for today. Our big question for today. What are the signs in your life that are showing you that you're probably running close to empty? Is it your pursuits? Is it your practices? Is it your priorities? Are these the things that are telling you that there is a sign of emptiness in your life that you need to address? Very quickly, you, you can apply it in this way. Choose to make him a priority. I have been the make sure and make sure and say, I've been bought and paid for and I've been paid in full. Make him the priority. And then when you build your life 
on his power, knowing that his power is the thing that overshadows us. Our shortcomings are his showcase. All right, so here's what I would like to do. I would like to say a prayer over you. I'd like to say a prayer for you. And then we'll watch a video and we'll be done. I'm going to sing one other song as well, a song that you will love. But let's just take a moment. If you would, please join me by bowing your head. And Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of our time together, we praise and glorify you that you are the God who changed it all by coming back to life. You are the one who said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down only so that I will take it back up again. You are the one who conquered death. You're the one who conquered fear. You're the one who conquered failure. All of the things that we worry about, Lord, it was all taken care of by you and you alone. And so in this time, dear God, thank you for your provision for us. So very quickly, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and I don't want anyone looking around, this is just for a moment for all of us. Is it something that God is speaking to you right now? Where maybe in the midst of this that I've been speaking about, that, that, that emptiness is happening in your heart and, and it's gnawing at you a little bit. You know that that emptiness exists and probably you've been trying to fill it with more but not different. And in the process of all of it, you've still found it to leave you empty. If that is you and you want to take just one step closer to God today, would you just simply lift your hand? I don't want to embarrass you in any way, but I know that many of you feel the Lord's presence right now. May God bless you and you as you also pray. May God bless you as well. Thank you so much. May God bless you. Is there another person here today? May God bless you as well. Thank you so much. Anyone else at this time, you want to just take one more step closer to God in this time? I thank you so much, all of you, each and every one. Thank you. Thank you for lifting your hand and taking a moment. Now, would you do just a, a moment's prayer to, to call out to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, you are the one who brings purpose and meaning, forgiveness and hope into my life. May all things that I do bring glory and honor to you. May I be your child from this day forward and may it be different and may it always bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. I have been the object of disbelief my whole life. It greeted me as a child, this disbelief. And it helped itself to me, to my heart, marking me so deeply that, well, you don't know the level of repulsion people feel for you until you spend a good portion of your life not being looked in the eye. That was my life up until the moment Jesus found me. And what an unbelievable state he found me in. So we packed, we cleaned, and we gathered for three years, though it felt like only days. And then the time came. Well, 
until his days were accomplished and he did what he came to do. If you've walked a life anything like me, you know what I mean when I say that sometimes people try to put onto you what Jesus removed. He was only gone from us, what, a couple of days the first time it happened. That mighty, miraculous morning, I went to the tomb and he was very not dead. He called me by my name and he gave me very specific instructions. So I ran to tell the disciples what I had seen, that he was alive and they didn't believe me. I mean, had they forgotten that we stood shoulder to shoulder all this time? I may not be one of the 12, or 11 now, but I followed him just the same. But you know what? Their perception of me is not the image Jesus saw. I was no longer the cracked and crooked house that demons dwelt in, because the moment I realized Jesus believed in me, I believed in him. And eventually, the disciples, they'd come around. Jesus kept appearing to a few, then to hundreds. But even after all that, there would still be some who didn't believe. He warned us about that. But more importantly, there would be other people, many other people who would never see it for themselves, but still believe. So that's why I, why we keep going until we reach every person who once and for all is done with disbelief.